Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are working so hard every single day to make coastal Mississippi a better place to live, work, and play. And I, you know, for today's show, I you know should also add making Mississippi a better place. You know, I've talked a lot about resiliency on Coast View. Uh, it defines us as coastal Mississippians. It defines us as Mississippians if you think about our history. So quotes like this are very familiar to us. When German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Nietzsche also said this, to live is to suffer. To survive is to find some some meaning in that suffering. There was also this one from Gregory S. Williams. On the other side of a storm is the strength that comes from having navigated through it. Raise your sail and begin. It's been said that you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. And ultimately, we've learned deep in our souls here in Mississippi, particularly here in coastal Mississippi, what what someone once said, which is, it's hard to beat a person who never gives up. Resiliency is in our DNA. I will always say that on this show. I will tell you that because I believe that ability to bounce back from significant challenge is part of our DNA and is our competitive advantage in a lot of ways in this in this uh, state. Our guest today probably knows as much about resiliency as anyone I know. You'll understand more about why I have to say that shortly. But anyway, as we are about to have an extended special Coast View session this morning with Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the Mississippi House of Representatives. Welcome to Coast View, Philip. Hope you're having a great morning. Hey, Ricky. Great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. You know, you uh, you served in the House since 2004 and became Speaker in 2012. You're the first Republican Speaker of the House since 1876. How often do you reflect on that history? Well, it's a tremendous honor to be a part of that history. A lot of people don't know that in, in Mississippi, uh, since 1876, for 136 years, as you said, the Democratic Party was in control of the House of Representatives. And it wasn't until 2012 that we got a majority and were able to elect a Republican speaker. And I was honored and humbled to be elected by my colleagues to that position. A lot of people may not know how the speaker is selected. I think you said when we were talking before that you want to give a, a brief civics lesson. Um, the, the, people know they, they get to vote on the governor and the lieutenant governor, but they do not get to vote on the speaker. The speaker's elected by the members of the House. And so for me to serve in this role, my colleagues in the House had to elect me to that role. So it's very tremendous and humbling honor to be able to serve in that capacity. Well, we're going to have an extended Coast View session, like I said. So we're going to retrace your steps. We're going to tell your story. We'll talk a little bit more about that that historic election. Uh, we'll talk about the state of affairs in, uh, in Jackson these days and some notable bills that passed the legislature this time and actually some bills, some very notable bills that didn't pass the legislature this time. And um, I also want to talk about the enormous amount of, of COVID relief funds that are going to be available to the state. But coming back to the civics lesson for a second, Mississippi has a bicameral legislature. Describe that to, to our audience. 
Well, it's it's modeled after the national model. I think everyone knows we have three branches of government, judicial, legislative, executive. The executive on the national level is on the state level is the governor. The executive on local level is your mayor. Your legislature on the national level is Congress. On the state level, it is the state legislature. On the local level, it would be your board of aldermen or your city council people. Um, there is one state in the country that only has one legislative body. That is Nebraska. They are what we call a unicameral state. But every other state has a House and a Senate, just like they do in Congress. In, in Mississippi, the, the lieutenant governor and the speaker perform the exact same functions. We're paid the exact same amount of money. We have the privilege of presiding over our respective chambers. We have the privilege of appointing the leadership um, uh, to, to the, the committees. We have 33 committees in the House. As you can well imagine, they deal with all manner of subject matters, agriculture, transportation, education, so on and so forth. I get the privilege of appointing the chairman to those committees. I get the privilege of appointing the members to those committees. And I get the privilege of assigning the bills to the, the, the committees as they come across my desk. The lieutenant governor does the same thing on his end of the building. Again, the only difference is lieutenant Governors elected by popular vote, speakers elected by the members of the House. And you see that play out in Washington as well. Um, the, the Vice President of the United States presides over the Senate, and the Speaker of the House presides over the, the Congress or the House. So just like at, uh, just like on the national level, uh, the governor, as the president can, uh, can veto legislation. Explain how that happens. Well, anytime the legislature passes a bill that goes to the governor for his signing, there's three three options a governor has. He can sign the bill, which basically means uh, he's got he endorses the legislation. He can allow the bill to become law without his signature. There's a, a period of time under which the or during which the governor has to sign legislation. If we are in session. He's got five days to sign legislation. If we're have ended this session, I think it's 10 days. He can allow a bill to become law without his signature. And then the third option, of course, is to veto the bill, which means he disagrees in some fashion with the, the, the bill. And then, of course, that is returned to the legislature for uh, a potential uh, override. We can, we can uh, agree with his veto and, and not take action or we can disagree with his veto. Now, to override the governor is a two-thirds vote on both ends of the building. So uh, on, in Mississippi, the bill is returned to what we call the House of Origination. So if it's a House bill, it comes to the House first. If it's a Senate bill, it goes back to the Senate first. And then that body would have to take action first before the other body could consider it. So you may recall last year, uh, we, we overrode a veto of the governor for the first time since 2001 or two, I think, probably in 20 years, the first time a governor had been overridden. And as I recall, it was a Senate bill. And so it went to the Senate first. They voted by a two thirds vote to override the governor. Then it came over here and we too voted by a two thirds vote. And of course the, um, the bill became a law in, in spite of the governor's veto. You know, one reality about Mississippi politics, the Mississippi's constitution, and that's something I've written about um, you know, a pretty, pretty good amount, is the fact that in Mississippi, the governor position is, for, for, the, for the most part, a constitutionally weak position. Explain that. And you're right about that. Uh, the, the governor is, is supposed to be a weak position because, and that comes from the drafting of our constitution, you know, 100 and 
20 years ago or whenever it was, 130 years ago, the, the, the strength of the government should be in the people. We always say that it's a government by the people, of the people, for the people. And, and I always use that in a lot of the different uh, debates we have is to remind our members that we're here to represent the people. And, and the voice of the people is located in the legislature. Every one of the, your listeners and every one of the voters gets to vote on who they want to come to Jackson or go to Washington to represent them. They get to vote on a senator. They get to vote on a House member. Those people come to Jackson and they speak on behalf of the people. And so the voice of the people is located in the legislature. And the founders of our Constitution, the founders of our country, in fact, did not want a king. Uh, as you recall, the founding of our country, they had just come out of a kingship and they didn't like that. They wanted a weak central government. They wanted the power to be located with the people and by the people. And so that's why, uh, historically, I think our governor is designed to be a weak constitutional position so that he can be serve as a check and a balance on anything that the legislature may do. There is checks and balances, and he does have a role. But in Mississippi, the governor basically has three powers, the power of the veto, which we talked about, the power to call a special session, and the power to part. And that's really all the governor is supposed to be able to do. Uh, the, the spending of the money is located with the legislature. The ability to tax, the ability to put general laws into practice. All of those things are designed to be done by the legislature because the legislature is the place where the power of the people resides and that's where the voice of the people is heard. Well, you know, I've written before, and this is for another conversation some other time, but what we've also seen is that when there's a strong leader in the governor's position, and the one that I refer to so often is when Haley Barber was governor after Katrina, the ability to use that position and hit, you know, the power of your leadership and the relationships that you have gained over over many years to leverage, um, you know, getting ourselves out of the mess we were in. You know, the, a strong leader in Mississippi, although it be may be constitutionally weak, can perform that duty in very incredible ways. And there's a great history of that in, in Mississippi. We'll switch. We'll switch gears. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about your life growing up. So you grew up in Clinton. You went to Clinton High. You went to Baylor. You were a walk-on at the Baylor Bears football team. And I asked you before we started, I can't help but think about Rudy Rudiger at Notre Dame when I think about that underdog mentality of being a, a, a walk-on. Uh, when we come back, I want to. I want you to talk about, <clears throat> do you have an underdog mentality? And talk about those formative years of your life. And, uh, and then we'll take it from there. But this is the Speaker of the House of Representatives for the state of Mississippi, Philip Gunn. And we'll continue the conversation after this break. Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. We're having an extended special version of Coast View today. I'm, I had the pleasure of having the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Philip Gunn, with us today. Look, when we went to break, you, you were a walk-on at Baylor, and I, I, I couldn't help but bring up that Rudy Rudiker uh, example. I'm wondering, did that give you or do you have an under, underdog mentality? Uh, I, th I, I think so. I'm a competitive person. Let's put it that way. I, I like to win, and uh, that drives a lot of um, the good things. Can also drive some bad things too. I remember when my wife, who I did not grow up with, she saw me play basketball for the first time, and she said, "You're ugly. You you run over people. You push people." And she said, "You're running your Christian witness." So I had to back off of that a little bit. But uh, yeah, you actually met her at Baylor. I did. Met her at Baylor. Sure did. Um, I, uh, I always wanted to play Division One football. I was fortunate to play at Clinton High School and then ended up at Baylor as a walk-on. They had recruited me, but they never offered a scholarship, but still wanted to give it a try. And if anybody watched the movie Rudy, I had about as much talent as Rudy had. Uh, I told people after I became speaker, we talked earlier in the first segment about the fact that I was the first Republican speaker in 136 years. Well, one of my former teammates at Baylor thought that was noteworthy, and he nominated me for an alumni award, which I was fortunate to receive. They took us back to homecoming, uh, invited us to homecoming, and, and during halftime of the football game, they gave us our awards recognized us and i told people after the fact that i spent more time on the playing surface during that award ceremony than i did the whole time i was on the football team <laughs> so that kind of encapsulates my ability there but uh yeah as a walk-on you got to learn to overcome obstacles you have to uh deal with with guys who are on scholarship who have a lot more talent than you do and you got to learn how to compete you got to learn how to overcome obstacles and uh, for nothing more than just love of the game and so i was privileged to be able to play there, made some good friends there that I still have to this day. Uh, Baylor was a great experience for me, as you pointed out, met my wife there. She's from Texas, but uh, when I finished up, I wanted to come back to Mississippi because this is my home. This is where my family lived and uh, came back to law school at Ole Miss. And then we moved back to Clinton, which is where I grew up uh, when I finished law school. Been there yeah. for the last 32 years. Let let me let me read something from the AP story that I found doing my research about you. Okay, and uh, I think it's a it's a very telling uh, three paragraphs. If you guess that Gunn is a power hungry, super ambitious politico concerned with acquiring power and influence, you'd be wrong. If you guess that Gunn's conservative politics leaves him void of compassion for those who struggle with the burdens of poverty, disease, and despair, you'd also be wrong. Make no mistake, Philip Gunn is an unapologetic conservative Republican, but the Clinton native is also a Baptist who has experienced despair and who has suffered unspeakable tragedy in his own life. His life experiences left Gunn a man who is strong, steady, and not given to wild displays of either joy or sorrow, and also a man who has a heart of service. When Gunn was a second-year law student at Ole Miss, he, his parents and sister visited him in Oxford. As they left Oxford on May 15, 1988, their 1985 uh, Buick uh, sedan was struck from, from the rear by a pickup truck and almost immediately burst into flames, according to court records. Gunn's parents and sister 
all were killed in the resulting inferno at the scene of the accident on Old, on Old Taylor Road in Oxford. Law enforcement found the driver of the pickup was intoxicated at the time of the accident. That's a, that's a tragic situation, of course. But, Philip, you heard how I opened the, the, uh, the show about resiliency. Someone also once said that scars remind us where we've been. They don't dictate where we're going. Looking back now, how did that tragedy, how did that tragedy make you more resilient and ultimately a better leader? Well, I, uh, I will tell you that I was very close to my family. My wife, in fact, has commented many times that she's never seen a family that was closer than us. We enjoyed being together. Uh, we spent time together. When I come home from college, we would not watch TV. We would play games. We loved board games. My father loved Rook. I don't know if you're familiar with Rook, but it's a card game. We used to play that a lot. I didn't have any other brothers and sisters, and so when this wreck happened, um, I lost uh, my whole family. I lost both my parents and my sister. And um, I was 25 at the time. Uh, very privileged, I think, to be raised in a Christian home. And my mother and father uh, led me to a relationship with Christ when I was a young child and um, uh, basing my life, trying to anyway, base my life on scripture. There's a lot of hope found in scripture. There's a lot of promises that the Lord makes to us in scripture and talks about where we go when we die and that we are with him. And, and I, uh, my family, I believe, is is in heaven with the Lord. I think that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what I cling to. Uh, doesn't mean I don't miss them. Doesn't mean that I don't have days of tragedy and sorrow, because I, I think I've told people when I focused on them and where they were, I was happy for them. But that doesn't mean I didn't have days of loss and sadness of my own, knowing that I'd spend the rest of my life without my family. Now, my wife and I had only been married about a year at that time. And so that put a lot of strain on a young marriage. And uh, I give my wife an enormous amount of credit for standing with me during uh, during that time. Yeah, I know it's 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 got to be incredible. You know, I often well, said he, after my father after my father dead that died that I I feel his presence as kind of this guardian angel. Do you feel that same presence of your parents? Uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to, to think that, uh, but I also think that uh, if they're in heaven, they're probably enjoying a whole lot more things than watching me struggle through this life. So I do believe that one day I'll be re reunited with them. Uh, my wife was a rock to me during that time and would not have been able to survive. And, and I think that's the way all of us come through difficult times. And, and I'm going to tell you, I think about the people of the coast often. Uh, during Hurricane Katrina. You know, I was in the legislature, just been in the legislature about a year or two when Hurricane Katrina happened. I was uh, started in 04, so this would have been my second year in the legislature. And to sit and watch the people of the coast band together, pull together, neighbor, coming to help neighbor, not just on the coast, but from all around the state of Mississippi, people coming down there. That's the kind of stuff that we in Mississippi do to help each other through tragedy. And in my situation, the outpouring of my church, the outpouring of my friends and my family, you know, helped me get through that. So um, that's what we do in Mississippi. And the, and the people of the coast are a great example to the rest of the world, I think, of how to overcome 
tragedy. And and Hurricane Trina is not the last tragedy that they've had. We had the BP oil spill. We've had hurricanes since then. We have had events that happen on the coast almost seems like annually <laughs> that cause the people of the coast to show the rest of the world how you overcome difficulties and tragedy and be resilient. And I think all of us were proud back during the Hurricane Katrina days of how Mississippians responded compared to how the Louisianans responded. Uh, we saw how Mississippians were able to pull themselves together. So uh, as you rightly pointed out, we can't compare tragedies. Everybody's tragedy is different and it affects everybody differently. But in my situation, those things that I mentioned were what helped get me through that. And it made me a stronger person. Uh, you mentioned in the beginning of the show you a, a few quotes. I was reminded of the, the James chapter 1, verse 2, where the Lord says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, because it produces endurance and it perfects your faith. And it goes on to talk about why we suffer and why we endure hardships. I would also point out, though, a, a preacher pointed this out to me years ago that uh, that word various in the Greek means many colored or multicolored. It's the same word that the, the Lord uses when he describes Joseph's coat of many colors. That exact same word appears over in 1 Peter 4.10 where uh, it describes God's grace as varied. And so this preacher pointed out that when we go through various trials, God has an exact color or shade of grace to match up with whatever trial we're going through. That was a great comfort to me. I cling to that and I offer that to anybody else who's going through hardship and difficulties because we all do. Yeah, you know, you're including the pandemic. I mean, just think about what we've had to endure just in the exactly. past year. Yeah. Scars remind us where we've been, but they don't dictate where we are going. We all know that so well. Again, each of us have our own perspectives on what we go through in our lives. And some some people have had much more difficult times than others. Exactly one quick right. point, then. One quick point. You said that, you know, at this time that you were in the legislature, I've often come back to this, but there was a moment when Haley Barber gave his speech right after Katrina in that special session, when he said to the legislature, uh, you know, this is this is for our kids and our kids' kids. What will they say of us? Will they say that we got this right? Or will they say essentially that we blew this moment of opportunity? Um, man, what an incredible moment in our state's history. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I recall that uh, meeting on the floor of the House. Another another inside uh, bit of information. Whenever we have a joint session of the legislature, it's always it always occurs in the House chamber because that's the largest room in the Capitol. And so, I recall vividly. It was about a week after. Hurricane Katrina had hit that uh, Haley Barber convened a joint session. We all, House and Senate, gathered in the House chamber and Haley came and gave us a report and gave that, issued that challenge to us. And we even had members of the coast who took turns going to the, the well of the House, as we call it, just the podium that sits down front, and who told us of their own personal hardship uh, of what they were going through and what their constituents were going through. And it was an incredibly moving time, but it also showed who we are as Mississippians, that we came together during that time. Political parties were set aside. Racial differences were set aside. Everybody pulled together to help our brothers and sisters along the coast overcome. And that's, that's what we do in the times of, of hardship. 
it proved that we can come together. And as a newspaper publisher, in those moments, I was learning for the first time and, and the way that I learned it to the depth of my soul, how the work we do as leaders in the community are generational, generational. Yes. And there are many issues that we're going to come back to when we get to that point in the conversation that are generational issues. It's the kind of issues that when our kids and our grandkids look back on us, what will they say of us? And we'll come back to that in just a second as we continue our conversation with the Speaker of the House of Mississippi, uh, Philip Gunn. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota, Gulf Coast Business Supply, and AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a special uh, extended Coast View session with the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. And when we went to break, we were just, you know, reflecting a little bit on the need for leadership, the need to come together in a bipartisan way. I remember there was this moment. We had this tent meeting at where the uh, where the outlet mall is located because there was no other place to meet. We had to erect a tent right after the right after the storm. And this is when President Bush came down. After that meeting. Uh, Billy Billy McCoy, then the Speaker of the House from Rienzi, a, um, a Democrat, he put his arm around me afterwards. Uh, I, was, I spoke at this this along with uh, several other coast leaders, and he said, "If you whatever you need, whatever you need, we're going to help you." And I, th- I think back still, Phil, of, of his leadership there in those moments, you know, supporting land-based gaming and, the, and all of that. That was, I mean, there are so many incredible stories of bipartisan efforts that really sort of went against a lot of people's philosophical beliefs, particularly as it related to gaming. But they were willing to set those things aside so the coast could get back up and running. Those were some remarkable moments, weren't they? Absolutely. And as we talked about a few minutes ago, the, the party differences were set aside, uh, racial differences were set aside, philosophical differences were set aside because we recognized the emergency of the moment and the fact that we had needs. And I met with, with President Bush that day, too, over at uh, Pearl River Community College. He had, he had flown in. I think he left us and went to meet with y'all, but we met with mayors and other leaders at, at Pearl River Community College. And I remember the, the mayor of Waveland at the time standing up and, and a guy leaned over to me and said, he don't, he doesn't have a town to be the mayor of anymore. But here was a guy and I don't remember his name. You probably, we could, we, you probably know who he was. We could find out, but here was a man who had lost personally lost everything, but he was there on behalf of his town trying to do what he could to bring uh, relief to his people. And he wasn't the only one in the room. There were other makers. There were other aldermen. There were about 200 people, different leaders of different sorts in the room, legislators as well. We met with President Bush and the whole conversation was, what do we got to do to get our people back up and running again? We got to get them food, shelter, and water immediately. And then there's the longer term, uh, the longer, the, the, the longer objective of rebuilding and well first of all cleaning up and then rebuilding and all those were discussions that took place and so we the legislature and as i mentioned the the representatives from the coast 
each took personal turns going to the well. It was just a great time and a great example for the rest of the world of how we as Mississippians come together to help one another. Yeah, it was the mayors of Waveland and Bay St. Louis that helped us fully understand something that I say often on Coastview, and that is that buildings do not make a community. The that's people correct. do. The that's people exactly do. Right. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. You know, we, we talk about what Haley said about generational work, but, but that whether you're talking about Katrina or whether you're talking about the state flag or whether you're talking about human trafficking or whatever, there are tough issues that you're going to face. And it always comes back sort of to the same kind of foundation. And that is what in the future, you know, two generations from now, what are they going to say of us when they look back at this moment and what we did in this moment? On the flag issue, I was, uh, as publisher of the Sun, I pushed hard for change. On this show, I pushed hard for change. I supported the efforts to change the flag. If you if you were a regular listener, you would know that human trafficking is a really big subject for me. I think it's one of the most horrific things that can that exists in our state. And we can talk about those specific issues as you, if you want to. But what I really want to get to is I want to explore what's behind your leadership of those issues, that dogged determination, how you grasp onto something. And I, I can't help, honestly, but think about Margaret Thatcher, who said, you may have to fight a battle, may have to fight a battle more than once to win. And uh, you, you know that. So what's behind that? What's behind your tenacity when you figure that this is the right generational moment for us, this is the time for us to institute change, what's driving you? Where does that come from? Well, I like to think, and, and I'll be quick to say, I don't always, uh, I'm not a perfect man at all. And I fail and I have flaws and faults and um, those surface regularly. But I'd like to think that I'm not the typical politician. In fact, I describe myself as not a very good politician because I don't always think about the political ramifications of, of uh, the things that I, the positions that I take. Uh, I'd, I like to think that I operate based upon conviction and what I think is right. And, and that's usually based upon uh, a much thought, analysis, prayer, research. To the extent that I can, I try to follow the mandates of scripture and make decisions that, that I think are right. Uh, part of that is, well, you mentioned my family, you know, dying earlier. That changed my perspective on family. And when I had children, I did not have children at the time, but I had my first child came along a year and a half later. And uh, knowing that life is short, knowing that any day could be the last and, and, and going through what I did with my family kind of drove that home to me. It changes your perspective of a family and what what do your children think of you and are you going to invest in your children are you going to uh, live a life that's pleasing to your family and makes them proud and so that kind of drives my decisions at least i'd like to think that drives my decisions about what are my children going to think about what i do here today they're going to they're going to be watching you're talking about the generational thing that's exactly what we're talking about years from now the, the, the children and the grandchildren of the coast people are going to look back at what they did at Katrina and be proud of that. And so that 
same type of mentality, I think, comes into play with me personally. When I make decisions up here, take positions on a political matter, I try to think, I want whatever I do, I want to make it uh, something that my children and grandchildren, who will one day look back at me and be proud of what I have done. So many, I think some of the knock on politicians sometimes is that they, they make decisions based on the next election. Is this going to help me get elected next time? And uh, I can't say that we're not all guilty of that from time to time, but I don't want that to be the driving force behind what I do, especially on such major issues like what you mentioned earlier. At the end of the day, I want my service here to, to have counted for something, to have made Mississippi a better place and be something that my family and the grandchildren and generations that follow will be proud of and look back and say, hey, they did good. They did right. So Mississippi Today did a really good sort of re re you know telling of the of the story behind the flag situation, but it really showed how you had to get a bipartisan uh, effort underway in order to accomplish that goal. And it wasn't just in the House, but it was also in the Senate that that had to happen. You know, you've proven that you had the ability. Let's let's come back to the House for a second, just as it relates to the House. Um, I think a good example might be the Conservation Trust Fund, 117 to 2. Your ability to get Democrats and Republicans to join together on bills. Uh, you had you had good success with the elimination of the sales tax, the state income tax. Um, how is it that you're able to bring the people together inside your inside your house to accomplish the goals that you have? Well. Uh I don't know that I'm always successful at it, but but I try to operate first of all having a relationship with everyone. And you got to you you got to they got to know you. You have to know them. They have to trust you and trust your motives. That doesn't mean you have to agree on every policy issue. It doesn't mean you have to agree on on how to solve a problem. But I think to the extent that I I can have credibility with them knowing that I'm not out there trying to do them harm. I'm simply trying to to move issues forward that I personally think are better uh, for Mississippi, that improves Mississippi. I think if they trust your motive and they trust where you're coming from, that that is a big first step. Then once you get past that, you can debate the, the ins and outs of the issue of what's good about the policy, what's bad about the policy. But as long as they believe that your motives are pure and you're not out there trying to, to trick or take advantage of them, I think that helps a lot. I try to get there. I don't always succeed on, on every issue, but on, on most of the issues, I think I'd, I'd like to think that I have the trust of my membership. They know that we're coming at it just because we have a conviction about a particular issue, not because we're trying to to do harm to anybody. I, I, you know, the politics raises its head, you know that along the way, but if you think about the national scene these days and how polarized we are and how hard it is for us to do anything in a bipartisan way, it is somewhat refreshing to see that we may be seriously divided on this issue. It may be party line vote. You know, one of the benefits the Republicans have in controlling the House that you can get you can get progress with a party line vote. But that doesn't always mean that you're successful. I think when you have a bipartisan, you know, coming together, that's really success in my view. And at the end of the day, the ability to move from, say, a, a more partisan issue to another issue where, where you can come together 
and you still can come together and that, that you have Democrats and Republicans voting together. When that happens in this state, it's a reminder that we don't have to be the national polarizing situation. We can we can disagree on this issue and and hug on the next issue. That's true, isn't it? Absolutely. And and I think one thing that helps at least me personally is is having been an attorney in my real life, so to speak. Um, you learn how to debate and argue and, and advocate for a position, but not take it personally. I, I like to think that we in the House try to strive for that, that when we do have debates on the floor and disagreements among the different parties, that we're just advocating our position, not taking it personally. I do think that is problematic on a national level. I think there are uh, personal agendas afoot on, on uh, that that take place in Washington that present problems. I think there are uh, the the media many times the, the the desire for members to get members of Congress to get in front of a camera and get FaceTime for themselves presents a problem. Um, I'd like to think that we have diminished that to a degree here in in the legislature, both House and Senate. Uh, I, I told people last year, of the 10 years that I've been speaker, this past session, 21, I think was the most harmonious we've ever had. It didn't mean we agreed on every issue. We still had debates and we still had issues that, that were split down the middle on the boat. But as far as decorum and professionalism and treating each other with respect, it's probably the best year we've ever had in the House. And it's a pleasure to work in a body where that takes place and you can go out afterwards and still be friends. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the Speaker of the House from Mississippi, Philip Gunn. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having an extended Coast View session, and this is the final segment of our conversation with Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House for Mississippi. And this has been a compelling conversation for me. I've really enjoyed sort of diving into who you are. Um, so let's go back for a second. We only have six minutes and 50 seconds. Well, what I want to do is reflect just a little bit on the session. Wide range of, of, of bills passed, everything from a teacher pay raise to delivery of alcoholic beverages and lots of points in between. There are some bills that didn't pass. I, I'm, I've been an advocate for the Conservation Trust Fund that passed the House 117 to 2 and didn't get anywhere in the Senate. I'm hoping we can make another run at it and make it happen because at the end of the day, the amount of federal matching funds that we can get make that a slam dunk in my view. I know it's never that easy, but it certainly was a slam dunk for the House. Um, and, Another bill that didn't make it was the um, state income tax elimination. What, what what do you want to say about that? Well, I just I think there's nothing bigger than we could ever do for the people of the state of Mississippi from a financial standpoint than to eliminate the income tax. 
that puts more disposable income into their pockets. That is a good thing. They can provide better for their families. They can give more. As you know, Mississippi is the most generous state in the country. We, we donate more than any other state. It will help the communities. Those dollars turn over. The plan that we passed was, was taken by a couple of economists that said it would result in an increase in our GDP of $371 million a year. So I just don't think there's a downside to eliminating the income tax. We're going to continue to push for that. I have been uh, all over the state talking about that, trying to convince people that it doesn't take much convincing because everybody agrees that's a good thing. So we're going to come back to that again next year. I've written that I was disappointed the three of you guys didn't get together on the data and the approach. You know, I mean, sometimes you can you can disagree on the outcome and the policy that are, that comes out of it. But do you think more efforts going to get together for you and the lieutenant governor and the governor to get together on at least how you measure success? Uh, well, I think the the lieutenant governor and I have been in regular conversations about this, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, the the governor has has only said uh, he is favors the elimination of the income tax, and so we've not received any any details on that. But in, as far as concept goes, he is publicly stated he favors that. So the Lieutenant Governor and his leadership team are working closely with us. We're continuing to try to hammer out whatever disagreements we have about that. But I'm optimistic we will get to a point where we can get that done. BP Money, talk about it all the time on this show. Great opportunity for us to do transformative projects. We've funded some that are transformative. In my view, some are not. But we're early in the process. I think it's just part of a maturation process of something we've never done before. But what's your view about the future as it relates to the BP Money? Well, we obviously wanted those dollars to be result of what I call economic development or job creation. Now, that's broad definition there, but we want those dollars to be used in ways that result in economic prosperity on the coast. We didn't just want them to be spent on, on frivolous things that, that might not result in economic prosperity. So that's kind of the, the goal. I know we've only been in it a year or two now, and uh, as like anything else, you have to see how things unfold and, and tweak them or modify them as you go along. And so we're going to continue to monitor that. But the ultimate goal is to make sure that those dollars result in economic prosperity along the coast. Excellent. Uh, hey, I didn't mention this to you during the break, but you have a really good relationship with your coast delegation. Why don't you sort of characterize that? Yeah, I've, I've uh, spent a... Uh, a lot of good time down there on the coast. I recognize it's important to, to the state of Mississippi and uh, my, my leadership from the coast, the, the, the house members that the people of the coast send me are very good house members and they are, they work hard, they're diligent, they're smart. They occupy a lot of uh, of important leadership roles in the house for us. And so it's, it's, it's a great privilege and pleasure to work with them. We're running out of time, but real quick, wow, $1.7 billion, whatever the number is of federal funds for recovery after the pandemic. Man, does that unleash incredible opportunities for Mississippi. Just give me your, 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 your big talking point about that. 
Well, I think the the same mindset that we use with the BP money would would apply to that as well. Uh, and of course, now all the cities are getting a certain amount of money that's coming directly to them, and, and uh, that is in addition to I think it's actually one point eight billion dollars. We will be making decisions about how those dollars are spent, and again, we want to make sure that those dollars are spent in ways that give us a good return on investment. Uh, we can we can build roads, bridges, possibly. I think they've actually put a restriction on us about roads and bridges. I think they're in a separate infrastructure plan. But water, sewer, uh, maybe repair buildings at our colleges and universities, possibly do some. We have to remember, however, this is one-time money. This is not money that's coming in every year, so you can't budget on that, but you can certainly use it for one-time projects and things that hopefully will result in economic prosperity in the state. Yeah, I had the new mayor of, uh, of uh, Ocean Springs on my show last week, and he talked about their infrastructure plan, about $30 million. Ocean Springs is literally busting at the seams incredible opportunities and i know that this is sort of telling the story of most of the coast cities these days but we're out of time it has been a genuine pleasure to have the opportunity to kind of dive a little bit deeper into your your life and your leadership and uh, i really appreciate you spending some time with me today well rick it's been an honor for me i appreciate your interest thank you for giving me such a a, a good time with you yeah you bet man you, i really appreciate it. we will see you tomorrow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.